Welcome to the dojo where we turn marketing trends into marketing tasks. And this week we're going to turn three stories into tasks you can do to improve your marketing by the end of today. I'm Dale. I'm Jess. I'm Tim. And I'm Charlie. You don't want me to introduce myself. (laughs) That's all good. This week we are joined by Explosion Ninja's CEO, Charlie Marchant. Charlie, introduce yourself to our wonderful audience. Hey, I'm Charlie. Uh, As Dale said, Explosion Ninja's CEO. Previously for six years, our COO. And my background is very much in content marketing and SEO. Excellent stuff. We're going to go around the table and choose. We're going to hear all three of your stories. So, Tim, you'd like to tell us your headline first. Google and Reddit's new partnership and what it means for marketers. Interesting. Jess, your headline for this week. Mine is all about the Stanley Cup trend cycle and what marketers can learn from it. And Charlie, what is your headline this week? Mine's deliciously Ella's personal branding and PR mega growth. Interesting. So we have to go with the Stanley Cup thing, which is very much about PR. Deliciously Ella, Ella which talks a lot about branding and PR. Or Tim's very enticing Google. My SEO brain is going to go there. Okay, Tim, you're going first. <laughs> so Google and Reddit have a new deal, which is reportedly worth $60 million a year, which... I don't know. I'll come back to that in a second. But anyway, Google now apparently has access to or will have access to Reddit, all of Reddit's data via API. And we don't really know too much about what this is going to be for. But what they have said is that it's going to allow Google to um, display Reddit content. So presumably that means show Reddit content in the search results, potentially even more than it already is. Reddit's been a massive gainer. Uh, over the last six months or so um, through perspectives, but also through the uh, Google's increased tendency to show user-generated content in the ordinary SERPs. But also, this is going to allow Google to train its AI models on all of Reddit's uh, content and all of Reddit's data, which is quite a big thing because there's a huge amount of information inside Reddit, decent number of monthly active users producing even more information this is a, a sort of a great data source for Google to train its next generation models. Now, I think this is kind of interesting for marketers. How big it actually ends up being, I'm not sure. It's $60 million per year. And originally when I heard that, I thought maybe the decimal point is in the wrong place because Reddit has revenue of around $800 million. So it's a reasonable size for Reddit. But Google's like $86 billion a quarter. So I worked out this is about an hour and a half of Google's revenue. So for Google, this is an absolutely minuscule thing. This is like a rounding error in some junior's expense form. This is just a tiny, tiny thing. And given how much of the future is expected to be taken up by, you know, future Gemini models and how much of Google's future they're they're, they're putting behind AI, is this feels like a tiny deal for Google. So it feels like a much bigger deal for Reddit. But I think what this really does for SEOs and marketers is it points to Reddit's increasing influence in digital marketing. We're already seeing more Reddit content make its way to the top of Google search results. We already see with Google's perspectives feature that Google's more likely to surface Reddit results um, in the perspectives tab for certain searches. And now knowing that future AI models are going to be trained on Reddit data, if I'm thinking, how do I get Gemini 2 
to recommend my business, I probably want to make sure it's got a decent presence on Reddit and there's lots of conversation about my product or service. I think this is potentially an indication that we marketers need to be spending more of our time contributing to Reddit, which also leads to a future scenario where we've spammed it to oblivion and all of that data is no longer useful and it becomes a dystopian wasteland. So yeah, I, I think we're at the start of a change in the importance of Reddit for most of us. Absolutely. Now, Jesse, I know you and I have talked a lot about Reddit in the past. Did you know that they have 850 month million monthly active users it's absolutely bananas. it doesn't yeah it is really really high and i think it's because there's so many subcultures and spaces on reddit like i feel like there's almost a space for every everything on reddit and while tim was sort of talking about the seo aspect of this i would say that you will definitely encounter certain subcultures or certain audiences that as soon as you start talking about your brand, they are not going to be very happy with you and they are going to go silence brand and oust you. So I think if you do want to start increasing your presence on Reddit, whether that's for SEO purposes or to, you know, connect with your audience, be smart about it. And also there's no harm in creating your own subreddit space for your brand lots of brands do that and people do want to pop online and have a chat about stuff yes sometimes it turns into an agony art art forum that definitely seems to be what the um the iphone subreddit seems to be it's just people posting you know my phone is smashed oh no um but there's still definitely a space to connect with people who are interested in your brand or if your product is adjacent to a brand you can reply to the smashed iphone post saying well actually have you thought about trying these phone cases they're really good you know but obviously if you're um if you're too on the nose about it don't think it'll go down particularly well yeah just the other day you and i were talking about how liquid death are being absolutely trashed in the comments for a post that wasn't even about liquid death so download festival which is a, a metal uh, music festival in the uk is is coming up this summer and they're doing promotional stuff for it because it's like the 20th anniversary and they're saying guess what our merchandise is going to look like you know the t-shirt is yet to be revealed they're trying to drum up a bit of like you know anticipation for it and people will you know buy that straight up straight away as soon as it comes available people were in the comments saying so like so heavily going anti-liquid death like this better not look like a liquid death t-shirt or i hope liquid death's not involved it's like wow there's like a whole bunch of stuff happening over here as jesse explained to me there's a whole bunch of stuff happening there. People are very anti-liquid death being at the festival or whatever. And it's traveling to other parts of the internet. So you as a brand need to be on top of like everywhere your brand could possibly be mentioned. The Reddit is definitely one of those places. Yeah, but just on that and then I will I will stop talking. There was really great um, suggestions that people were making in another post on download about liquid death about potentially having like offering people sort of reusable lids for their cans because the problem people have is the liquid death is can drinks they want to buy a plastic bottle while they're there that they can then refill at the festival um and use uh you know not have to worry about it going everywhere so liquid death could actually see that see that people are sort of hating on them because they don't want to buy a can of water but it's their only option if they don't have a bottle with them and then maybe they could actually pivot that and say we heard what you were saying you know if you buy 
a can of liquid death, you'll get a discount on one of our reusable can lids or something. So as much as this started off as a conversation about SEO, it could also be if you are thinking about diving into Reddit because of what Tim said, then potentially using it as a social listening tool to see what your customers actually want, how they actually feel about you in different spaces could also be massively helpful too. This is, I mean, Reddit is not a place for the faint hearted, is it? I think a lot of brands are really scared of Reddit, though advertising has always been a bit of a, there's been a bit of a question mark over brand safety because you don't know what sort of subreddits your ads are going to be seen against. And I think the danger is that brands go onto Reddit with the energy that they've taken to Instagram where they might just be able to click, you know, delete comment or whatever and find themselves in all (laughs) sorts of trouble. Yeah. I actually just remembered there was a point last year where Oatly kind of, well, Oatly as a PR kind of thing, they often lean into the negativity, but they actually had like a whole subreddit or something. I don't even recall, Jess, but it was like, tell us, tell us every nasty possible thought you have about our brand. Like here, here's a like space for you to do it. We want you to, they're just leaning into it. Like if you know Reddit is a space that can have, you know, it's I actually find it to be a very great, a very nice place most of the time, depending on which subreddits you're in. But if you are aware that that is a possibility, there's a negative, and you're doing your risk assessments, you're thinking, okay, is it worth it? What can I do? If you can lean into it, if you've got a cheeky brand, that, that's that kind of thing, absolutely. Why not? Just make the best use of that, you know, worst case scenario. Um, Charlie, from a content it's perspective- It's a bold move. Hmm. I was just going to say, it's a bold move. You have to have a pretty resilient uh, marketing person leading up that kind, of, <laughs> that kind of discussion, I think. And you'd have to be pretty well prepped for what you're going to say. I mean, if it was me, I would want to plan out what what are the most likely criticisms I'm going to get and what's my stance on that if I was coming back to it in a Reddit thread because you also don't want to become like, well, overtly aggressive or passive aggressive. You want to have the right sort of cheekiness on that thing. Absolutely. And I think going into it completely prepared for every eventuality probably isn't possible, is it? So you, you there is going to have to be a bit of a, a leap of faith. This feels like there's going to be a whole industry here of Reddit agencies that help coach brands and manage reputation on Reddit and you know, whatever, bot farms of anonymous users ready to stick up for a brand. Or... That's just where my head goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Riley, I'm actually curious about your CEO perspective. So with, with Oatly's case where they've lent into the negativity, is that, do you think that that's come from you know, middle management they've pushed up to say, we should really try and do something bold with our branding? Or do you think that's a CEO-led, let's do something different, I really want to give this a go? I imagine both. I don't like, I personally don't think a CEO would want to make that judgment call in silo from the rest of their team, at least I hope not, the rest of their team and their marketing team. So I imagine that it's probably come from a couple of personalities in the business, but also talking through and thinking through how they want to appear publicly and what they want their image to be. But I mean, they've been cheeky enough on their, you know, ads, billboards, uh, own oat milk bottles, arguably as well, that I almost think it would be weird if they didn't do a stunt like that (laughs) online. And I'm pretty sure they probably just planned a whole year's worth of cheeky stunts that they wanted to lean into and do all at the same time. Yeah. It's interesting how some of the kind of, uh, brands that we're thinking of are the most cheeky so we're thinking about link <laughs> liquid death thinking about oatly and you know companies like that doing things a bit differently i think having a really well-defined brand brand positioning and voice make a massive difference on business success yeah i think so too and i think oatly has the benefit of their 
as we'll also come to in my discussion with Deliciously Ella, that, you know, controversy always hits people's nerves, specific uh, dietary or alternative diets that, that people decide to follow, including like, you know, Oatly will have a big audience of plant-based and vegan consumers, uh, as well as people who do consume dairy also buying Oatly. So I think that, you know, having that to play on probably helps them and leaning so heavily into that, that, you know, they almost, they don't really care what meat eaters and dairy consumers really think because it's not their it's not their big target audience uh, i was also just thinking of Brewdog, how they lent into this as well the negativity we're not going to go into we're not going to go to tangent talk about Brewdog, but they're certainly kind of given us a public example of if you lean too heavily in one direction it can be a bit traumatic for your business and brand sentiment and things like that that's why i think again you really need to have a well-defined brand and brand positioning brand voice which is what we actually offer Exposure Ninja. So if you uh, go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review, you can request a free website marketing review. We'll have a look at your business and see where, how we can improve your marketing results. And part of that might be a bit of a change in brand position. And we have something for that called the Brand Accelerator. So to learn more about that, go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and submit your business details there. I'm going to go take us on to our next story. There was the Stanley Cup, which is another brand kind of thing. And we've got Deliciously Ella. I'm going to go with Deliciously Ella this time because uh, I'm curious to know more. Sure. Okay. So Deliciously Ella, for anyone who doesn't know, they're a plant-based food blog uh, run by Ella Woodward. And that started out about a decade ago. And she's expanded significantly uh, in recent years into um, plant-based food that's sold in supermarkets. So things like energy balls, healthy falafel, etc., that you can find in Waitrose, Sainsbury's and all of the other places. Um, and cookbooks as well. I think she's on about eight cookbooks now that she's released. So that that brand has gone from 2018 around a 700k loss to reporting figures of around 25 million revenue just last year in 2022. So mega growth. Um, very clear niche as well going after that plant-based sector. So 10 years ago, that was probably only around 5% of UK households buying into that. And at today, we're probably at 50%. So it's been quite a quite a trend that she managed to jump on how well planned that is i don't know or how much that's just uh just luck um it's a very influence influencer heavy brand lead so all of the marketing is around ella herself she does a lot of the the videos a lot of the social uh, a lot of the pr style stuff the stories around her as well and her current pr story is about her experience of being trolled on social media and on the internet for her plant-based views because she talks a lot about um, an illness she was diagnosed with and how changing her diet uh, helped her to overcome some of some of that difficult experience that she was having um, and how she's sort of backed away from social media but now is making a sort of comeback story of it coming back stronger and more confident and uh, more you know herself than than ever before and I think she's it's it's quite a clever PR story because it resonates in, in quite a lot of ways um, social media being overwhelming for I think is something that everyone experiences whether they work in it or whether they just use it um many who are also sort of vocal about alternative diets especially if they adapted their diet around health issues I think it's not uncommon for people to get trolled or hear you know other people's very strong opinions in different directions the other way uh, and also I thought because her you know she's early 30s women in her early 30s I think this sort of story has quite a appeal to women in their early 30s who I imagine are 
predominantly her target audience too with the like coming back and being confident and self-assured in who you are and what you do and what you believe and how you express your opinions um but it's interesting though because the brand very much has a a constant cycle of PR stories going on so about every month there'll be a new one and they're always very personally led so there'll be something that is going on in her life and I'm calling them PR stories I think other people might find that a bit on the nose potentially because they are stories of her life and how how much they just are things happening in her life that she's willing to share versus how much they are uh, crafted PR angles I wouldn't want to comment on but past stories have been things like struggling with breastfeeding and having to use uh, baby formula which got a lot of kickback um, as of course baby formula often does criticism for her going back to work too early after having her children struggling with her mental health as a mother and uh, saving 27 workers jobs by buying out a factory in uh, Milton Keynes so usually she shares these things on social media posts and then uh, if you have a little peruse around the internet at any time you'll see there's a massive back catalogue of PR stories across all sorts of publications um, that have spun off of that. I find it quite interesting that the word that really popped up to me first between all the different stories was authenticity and how authenticity can really, well, you would think be quite helpful for a lot of brands. But as you, you said with the trolling, that maybe authenticity sometimes is often called into question. And... I, I don't know, like, I'm also conscious that, as you said, this is, you could attribute a lot of these stories to PR, whether it's authentic or not, whether this is like, okay, we've got these things that we want to talk about, or is it responsive? Like, I also feel that way because I've also gone through that, like planned versus response. It's tricky sometimes for a, a business owner or a personal personal personality-led brand or you know thought thought leader-led brand to make the decision between how much should I show it, it is it too much too little Tim how do you feel about it because Explosion Ninja's long been a, a personality-led brand as well yeah I, I don't know I think it comes down to how much the individual is is happy to show and I, I guess these personal brand-led businesses Explosion Ninja's never been about me as a personal brand i've been the face of it but it's definitely a business brand so i'm not talking about you know my own journey or my own struggles really very much at all whereas i think with with ella's brand that is what her audience is here for they're here for her as a person first and and then you know the brand comes off that i i i think one of my observations about these types of brands is the amount of work and i i think it really upsets me when people troll brands like this because I think they underestimate the commitment that someone like Ella has to put into building this brand. It's all, oh yeah, you just post on social media and you know make loads of money. But actually deciding to open up your life and to actually in some ways shape your life so as to be entertaining and interesting for social media is a massive commitment and it's something you can never get away from. I know some people around here who are, relatively high profile influencers and it takes almost all of their energy they can never switch off from this they're having to go on particular holidays and they know that if they you know they take their kids out of school for example they're going to get a backlash and it's always about how do we do things which are entertaining whilst also avoiding the the, the backlash and this isn't something that they can just you know turn off 
they have to do this every day they have to do this on weekends you can never really switch off from this life so i think it's uh in a lot of ways people will look at this as oh you know she's so lucky she's got this but i actually think a lot of these people if you gave them the option of having a a, a brand that's detached from their personal brand after a few years they probably take it because they probably just want a bit of a holiday from it whereas she can't sub this out she can't put someone else in charge of this she's in it now it's built around her and she is like the pillar holding this thing up so yeah, I, th I think it's down to the person how much they share and actually whether this is for them or not because there are different ways of doing this right mr beast you could look at mr beast as a kind of comparison with the the burgers and all the different things but mr beast isn't built around his personal brand he turns up for work and does this for work so he's not talking about his personal experiences and therefore he doesn't get criticism on his personal experiences. Yeah, that's interesting because there there's a lot that's not known about Mr. Beast. Like, you know, I, I spent a bit of time like watching interviews about uh, Mr. Beast. There are little bits and pieces that come through, but his personal life is very much like kept personal. Like there are bits of, I, I know like he has like IBS or Crohn's and a couple of other things, but doesn't really bring them up. Often he could do, he could actually probably do a lot of good work in terms of highlighting it and still being you know the, his life around recording videos and running multiple businesses and how Crohn's impacts that and that might be of help you other people with a voice know more about that and the kind of troubles they have to go through but he's chose to kept that that separate it's not impacted how successful he has been but there's another youtuber Jess that you and I have been talking about just recently who is having their authenticity questioned a bit which is another part of this in terms of how much to do or not to do I guess you can imagine who I'm talking about is this Stephen Bartlett it's Stephen Bartlett <laughs> yeah yeah I was I've been doing some research into podcasts because we have a podcast and it's nice to do some research about that kind of thing and Stephen Bartlett has a very very successful podcast called Diary, Diary of a CEO and people I went through the reviews basically on Apple Podcasts because I wanted to see how people are feeling about the podcast what they like what they dislike so that I can make sure that we weren't making the same mistakes or maybe look for some opportunities that we could try in our own podcast and a lot of people have felt that his content because he's now working with Huel and pushing a lot of nutrition stuff a lot of the CEOs he has on the podcast are very um, nutrition focused which isn't necessarily a problem but the situation that seems to be arising is that he's interviewing everybody the same and he will have one person on the podcast one week who will give an opinion and then he will have somebody on the podcast the next week who gives a completely contradictory opinion and the podcast runs like he never heard the first opinion and people find that really uncomfortable and they would prefer that I suppose Louis Theroux style of of interview where there's a bit more prying when new information is presented that might contradict something else you've promoted and so people are feeling that what he's sharing is no longer authentic and he's no longer coming across as somebody who was really interested and keen to learn about CEOs and instead somebody who is running a podcast a little bit for clout I guess and that's really really backfired so I can imagine for instance Ella's deliciously Ella's built this massive brand right and if she suddenly turned around and was like actually I really support the carnivore diet and I think everybody should also support that. That is not going to go down well and she is going to get a lot of backlash. But even if she just said, oh, I'm starting to introduce milk products into some of my my products, that would also get backlash. Um, 
so yeah I'm kind of going off on a tangent there and I wasn't totally sure where I was going with that part about deliciously Ella but maybe it'll inspire somebody else to chime in no, I actually think that this brings it back around to Charlie's original kind of story which is about deliciously Ella and how much you put your personal self out there Charlie if you're the marketing manager or marketing director someone within deliciously Ella or a similar sized uh, company do you think that you'd be pushing for the business leader the face of the company to be sharing more authenticity and using influence you know the kind of like influencer style to promote the company or do you think it'd be better for that marketing manager or marketing director to push for influencer-led social media kind of usage where instead of worrying so much about what how you your brand directly may be impacted what having a good strong connection with those other influencers it's putting a bit of distance between you and any kind of controversy that might come your way. Not that you're seeking it, but maybe that is that a better option. Which would you be campaigning? I'm, I mean, I think it depends on the long-term strategy of the brand. Personally, I'd want to be doing both because I think, you know, sharing and being as vulnerable as Ella has to be as part of her brand, you know, she's sharing like her kids' dinner times that she's surely not going to be wanting to do that forever and also there's a there's a longevity issue right she could be selling plant-based products for a lot longer but her kids are only going to be kids for so long so her content is going to have to change and evolve and she'll be having a different kind of story where at the moment she is that early 30s mum who wants her kids to be healthy she's got that going but that's not always going to be the case um and i think having a secondary strategy to lean into working with other influencers, other brands as well. Like I'm not sure if any of you have seen the Deliciously Ella's recently uh, partnered up with Mindful Chef, the uh, sort of food food boxes as well. I think leaning into that kind of thing and diversifying a bit more, working with both influencers and brands, gives you more scope to see what appeals and what you know long term what you want to do because there is there is a a point of exhaustion I think with running a personal brand like that and there is also a longevity question around how long you're going to be able to do it and appeal to the the people you want to appeal to over the long run as well yeah I just had a thought like Tim and Jess you we're currently working on the research stages of a, a video about what to do with a business a business or the website when you have multiple buyers to target so we were looking at monday.com and they have you know, a message on the website, but they have a funnel for people who are doing operations, a funnel for people doing sales, a funnel for people doing um, dev dev work, website development and software development, stuff like that. I can't help but think of when you are a personality-led brand like Deliciously Ella, you're changing as you grow as a person, as you become older and as your business life changes, personal life changes. She's going to grow at the same rate and age at the same rate as her audience for the most part will probably be around her age, which kind of means she's leaving, might be leaving a segment behind in that kind of mid 20s to mid 30s range. What would you recommend? Do you think that she should pivot to have more? Maybe they already are. Maybe they already do. I don't really know enough about the brand, but. Do you think they need to pivot to say, okay, this is the new funnel, new strategy for the age, with the people who are following us and will age with us, but we need a new marketing strategy for the younger kind of people that we originally did our, our marketing uh, with and our kind of first early business years with. What would you suggest? I mean, I, I guess I see personal brand as being an accelerant in the early stages of a brand and then eventually a limiting factor 
in the later stages. So if it were me, I'd try and, you know, use a personal brand to get some traction on these adventures and then sort of spin them off so that they, you know, they take on their own, their own life, I guess, you know, Tesla and Elon. Yes, Elon is a big part of Tesla and people will buy Teslas because of Elon or not buy Teslas because of Elon, but fundamentally that brand stands on its own feet. And I, th I think that that sort of approach where you'd, you'd spin something off, there's a baby food company called Ella's Kitchen, which and I always get these two confused, but that's a brand that would started with a story, but now it just exists in its own right and it's massive and it's everywhere. And I think that type of approach where you, you kind of give it a push and then you you know, you let the babies fly and you let the babies sort of take on their own life. I think I think that seems to be more sustainable. And it means that as you progress and as you develop and as you go on your journey, these brands can exist targeting the same audience for years and years. You don't have to, you know, now none of my followers buy baby food, so I'm just going to close down the baby food operation. That's a complete waste. And it means all the momentum that you've built is, is just decimated. So Here's yeah, a, I think that's sort of spinning off thing. Here's a controversial idea. Maybe... Uh... Ella's just going to get both her daughters involved in being influencers for the brand and it becomes a family business. And then they've got quite a lot of generations targeted. Yeah, the dynasty. Yeah, I mean, we haven't got to that stage yet, right? Where, you know, we're sort of still in that first earlier generation of influencers who are now sort of growing up and hitting their 30s and, you know, the younger generation. But we haven't got to like, what about when those influencers have kids and does an influencer-led business become a family business in the way other businesses traditionally have done over the years? I don't really know enough about like popular culture, but I'm thinking of like the the Jamie Olivers and the Gordon Ramsays and stuff where their kids are like at a point where they're old enough to kind of do their own thing. I don't know if they are going into the family business exactly, but they're often in the videos, at least the ones I've watched in the past. I, I can see the logic in like, okay, not the only person I can think of, and I don't know why, is Steve Owen. <laughs> like Steve Owen's kid. That's exactly who I was gonna say. That's exactly who I was gonna say because they are so active on social media. They absolutely embody everything they do. They're so like full on, and I think it's exactly how their dad would have been if he was around for the age of social media. And they are absolutely obsessed with being the Owen family. And it would be interesting to see if that energy then goes down to their kids, because I know Bindi has a daughter and maybe the children will go, actually, I hate being on camera. You know, we see it with a lot of vlogging families where their kids go, we had a horrible childhood. We hated being on camera. We had no privacy. Um, so it could really, with those situations, go either way. And maybe it's a case of partnering with up and coming influencers in your niche and seeing, you know, especially if they already love your brand, maybe, you know, you can partner with them, create content with them, interview them for your content to get those similar kind of stories and get their views because Ella's experience is one experience, but maybe she could reach out to other, you know, parenting influencers. There's a lot of them in the space who are also plant-based and get their insights and their experiences. And maybe they had opposite experiences to her. And then that's a whole new PR campaign that brings in a whole new audience. Yeah, no, I love that. I'd now like to hear your headline and your story, if possible, Jess. Yes, so I've been very obsessed with the Stanley Cup trend cycle that's been happening on TikTok, mainly because I've never watched a trend rise and fall 
quite in the way that this one has. And I think it has a really interesting conversation, one about going all in on something, but also how you can ride that wave of popularity and then keep it going afterwards. Even if it's on a smaller level, how you can use things that happen during that popularity use to generate content and things like that to then sort of continue that momentum, even if it's a little bit slower. So just for a bit of background on Stanley, they sell insulated cups and their most popular product was a green cup that was had a secure lid. I think it was for like outdoorsy people. Um, they'd released this cup called the Quencher Cup, which is basically this massive cup that's like wide at the top narrow at the bottom so I can fit in your cup holder with a handle and it just didn't didn't take off at all there was one family blog website in like Salt Lake City who loved them and were really it was very female heavy audience and they loved them and I think Stanley sold all their cups to them and was just like just take them because we don't we're not selling them we don't want them and then I actually admittedly don't really know what happened in the in-between time but then around last year Stanley cups just took off as this new iconic product to have that you can you know that's like a status symbol and it really really took off with women and what they actually saw is that the company doubled sales year on year just because of these quencher cups because they were suddenly on trends and stanley lent into this by doing limited edition drops they did a drop with starbucks for valentine's that was also i think stanley cups are only um sold in target in the u.s and they had to do item limits on these saying you're only allowed two cups you know and people they become really really trendy on tiktok because they come in a range of colors and when you look at the colors on the website they're all those kind of pastel colors they're really leaning into that more aesthetic space people were buying as many colors as they can they were enjoying collecting them matching them with their outfits um but then the bubble has a little bit burst when people have started to realize this is actually a really bulky cup and isn't necessarily what was after. And then somebody did a test on them and found they had lead in them. And Stanley was like, that's fine. It's to do with the sealing process. You're never going to be exposed to that. And then another company that sells similar cups was like, come to us, we have no lead. And it was just a whole debacle, right? And what I found very, very interesting about this whole thing is partially the branding and positioning of this because it started in a really fantastic way, right? Is that they catered to this one audience saw that another audience was starting to get interested and really, really lent into that. And they did some fantastic sort of PR-related things. For instance, sounds awful, but somebody uploaded on their TikTok that they'd had a car fire. Their car had been on fire. They went in their car and showed that their Stanley Cup was still intact and the ice inside was still frozen. And the way that Stanley reacted to that is, of course, they reshared it and they were really kind and actually brought her a new car and I think sent her a new Stanley Cup or sent her some products as like a goodwill gesture because they knew it was such good already amazing PR for their product right it's been in a fire and the ice is still frozen that's amazing but then they took it to another level but on the other side of this kind of kindness and caring about people and this product that's fantastic for the environment they've also leaned a bit too far into the consumerism side of it. And they've seen this audience and gone, oh my God, they love having a different Stanley for every outfit. Done so many colors, encourage people to have the full collection. And now that the bubbles burst, these people are getting rid of them. And that is not good for the environment. So it's just been very, very interesting how they've lent almost too hard into the trend 
because I'm assuming there was probably dollar signs in their eyes. And now it's really coming back to bite them because now if they want to try and reposition themselves again as the sustainable company, that's going to be really hard because people are going to be remembering the videos on TikToks of people with 50 Stanley Cups in every color under the sun. So there's definitely a few ways they could they could take this. And I would just love to know anybody else's opinions on this because it's a very, I don't know if I'm just having a very isolated experience being obsessed with the Stanley Cup saga. Um, but yeah, I'd love to know what other people think. <laughs> Charlie, are you aware of the Stanley brand already? I actually wasn't until Jess put it up. So this seems to have gone totally over my head, which is really interesting because I am very heavily in the in their target customers of water bottles as you can see i always have one at my desk because i wouldn't i wouldn't imagine having an open top glass next to my computer um and because i have you know water bottles for hiking or my uh i have a bit of side side hobby of blogging i get sent i've got water bottles coming out of my ear i've got so many water bottles but maybe that's why i didn't notice this because i know so much about other water bottle brands this didn't hit me at all um yeah, and it sounds like they've got themselves accidentally in a bit of a mess by not clearly deciding, it, like they tried to trend jump so heavily, they hadn't really clearly thought about what their business strategy was there and how short-lived that might be. Because now if they're being slated under, you know, this isn't very environmentally friendly, which is the main USP of the majority of water bottle brands is that they're, you know, BPA free and that they take care of the environment because you don't need to buy as much plastic they've got quite a, a slippery Charlie. slope to climb back up here. <laughs> you, you raised your point about um, how sustainability makes it such a huge part of, you know, brand identity mm -hmm. within, you know, for outdoor people or for eco-conscious people. Cool. What would you do to claw back? Like what PR could you possibly do to claw back sentiment in a positive direction that, you know, is this going to take months, years? Like how long is it going to be before they get to that? you know, Patagonia peak status of like the Uber. I, f I mean, I feel like that's a question company. they can pay me 10 grand to answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also think that the bigger question is, is that definitely the way they want to go? Because this market is pretty saturated with water bottles going after that eco hiker travel uh, type of segment market. And it sounds like they've actually had more success in general going after the more consumerist younger starbucks style market so which maybe that market was uh, fickle in this specific instance but actually it sounds like they need to go back to their drawing board of wh what direction they do want to go because it would be a heavy pr campaign to go back towards the eco angle i definitely have an idea of what they can do and i probably shouldn't say it because charlie was like don't, don't give anything away for free no i'm kidding i'm kidding charlie no, shares loads of amazing information <laughs> yeah so don't worry but um i think they could really benefit from selling doing a reselling program because lots of people who frequent thrift stores and secondhand stores in america are seeing the stanley cups show up and somebody said you know i'm here every week i love thrifting and this is how you know sorry this is how you know a trend cycle has died down is that they start appearing here and i think because they're expensive, they're like 45 bucks for these cups, right? If they did a reselling program where you could buy them for a fraction of the price, then I think that would put them quite nicely back into that sort of environmental area while also being able to play into that like consumerism kind of thing. You know, they could do limited drops of their limited drops, of, you know, for things that have been 
that have been sent back to them and i think that could be really eco-conscious of them so stanley if you want some help with that exposioninja.com forward slash review go there <laughs> absolutely tim i'm curious on your your take uh from a branding perspective do you see, see a reseller uh, program as a good opportunity? Do you think it impacts brand sentiment, the, the, how people feel about it? Do you think it's a net positive for them or do you feel that may come with risks as well? I, I guess there's there's two, yeah, like Charlie said, there's different directions that they can go, isn't there? I think if they wanted to go along the, you know, the premium, this product is a real investment, then actually a reseller program really makes sense. You see Mulberry doing something similar where they have a you know, actually loads of luxury brands do now. And, and the, the sort of underlying message there is that our products hold their value. So when you're buying this thing, it may seem expensive, but guess what? You can actually resell it, which you can't do with any old water bottle. So I think that would actually reinforce luxury positioning. And if they wanted to go the eco route, they could also do that too. But, you know, if I was if I were them, I'd probably be on the first flight over to China, figuring out with my suppliers how we can remove the lead from this product to do a big relaunch or how we could you know, make the world's first carbon neutral, um, you know, truly carbon neutral. But but then you've you've really got to, if you want to go the eco route, you can't just be, you can't just slap an eco sticker on it because the TikTok audience, the Reddit audience is, as soon as they get under that, as soon as they see a wrinkle in that positioning, you're freaking dead. Like that, they're, they're so unforgiving and greenwashing might go okay if you know if it's like pass through word of mouth from some like mums at a networking thing but if you're trying to greenwash on reddit or on tiktok you're going to get found out and so i think if you're going to go that route you have to be absolutely sure you have to know your supply chain in detail you have to really be willing to back this and i think that's a that's the sort of unintentional trend of today is like the authenticity the same with ella if ella just sometimes wants to just chill out and have a burger she can't do that in public because if she gets taken a picture of eating a fat juicy burger and all the you know the burger juice like trickling down like that's gonna impact the brand we've seen so, it happen yeah <laughs> with ella is this Not with a ella, big... but with okay. different vegan influencers we've seen it right. happen yeah so you just got to be conscious, haven't you? If you're going to choose that route, you've got to be all in. You can't just be like, oh yeah, we're sort of kind of green. You're either, that's your selling point or it's not. So it's it's more of a consideration than I think some brands think. And it might seem innocent jumping on a trend on TikTok and being like, yeah, yeah, cool. Well, yeah, we're pretty much green because like you don't have to buy another cup. But if you're if you're going that route, then you are going to be examined by the world's most ferocious examiners. So you better be ready for the inspection. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, I think the best story from this week is the deliciously Ella story. Cause I think there are a lot of takeaway. Congratulations. <laughs> a lot of um, positive tasks that we can take away from it about, you know, authenticity, um, you know, personality led stuff and so on. So I'm going to come to these to Jess and asks you, oh, Jess, I'm going to come to you and ask you, what marketing tasks can we take from this story? Yeah, I would definitely say, look at what makes your brand stand out and find out how you can also make that really authentically connect with the reason why your business was started in the first place. It was obviously started to fill some need with Ella. It was because she was sharing these recipes and maybe sharing recipes of how to make protein balls. There's people who wanted to buy her recipes a recipe book form and there's people who didn't want to make their own protein balls and can buy them as her product so there was this real need there that was that was built 
And even if you don't have that same sort of influence as a brand owner's story, you can kind of do it a little bit in reverse if you feel like that's something that you would want to do. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a brand owner. For instance, Ryanair, to bring up a really random one, people were obsessed with their plain face. And that was an anonymous person. You know, if you can find something in your business that really resonates with people, that adds that human connection, I guess, in the context of a plane with eyes. But you, you know, there's always these little interesting opportunities that come up in your in your target audience. Tim, what task can business owners take from this story? I think there's a there's a trend today. I saw a LinkedIn post from someone who said something along the lines of my job as CEO of this, they're an agency. My job as CEO of this agency is to build my personal brand. That is my primary objective. And I just sort of wanted to say there are lots of different ways to grow a company. Amazon isn't Amazon if Jeff spent all his time posting on LinkedIn, trying to build a following, right? There, there, are, there are so many different ways to win. So if that comes naturally to you, and if it comes naturally, you've probably built a massive following already, then that's totally cool and go for it. But I think if that doesn't come naturally to you, you don't need to force that. And it's okay to build an anonymous brand that isn't all about you. That is completely okay. It's more transferable. It means that you can unplug at the weekends. Like that's okay. So I think it's just that that conscious decision of how much the owner wants to put themselves out there and make the brand about them. It's not just a few posts. This is your entire life being sort of unfolded and presented to the world. So your point is just reminding me of a book that I just so happened to have next to me, which is called Delivering Happiness, which is by Tony Shear, uh, who owned and created Zappos.com, which is shoe e-commerce in um, the US, acquired by Amazon about 10 years ago. And their whole thing was like, you've got to pick something like a um, to drive your business towards. And it may not be like personality led uh, marketing. It might be like customer satisfaction marketing. So you just do the best possible customer service you can, even if that means you have to drive out to a shoe shop, get the shoes you don't have, buy them and make like zero ROI on it just to make sure your customer gets all they wanted. Cause then people will talk about it later. People talking about you is, equally if not better than you talking about yourself to an audience on LinkedIn. So there's another uh, route you can go. So Charlie, coming up to some quick fire questions. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> Charlie, if you had just one hour to improve your marketing, what would you work on? I think one hour is quite a short amount of time. So if you're going to do something that actually achieves a good outcome for you in one hour, I would probably focus on what's my marketing strategy. What am I doing for the next three, six, nine, and 12 months and do a one-page plan. Love it. Do love a one-page plan. Charlie, what would you do with an infinite marketing budget? Hmm. I'm assuming I've got an infinite marketing budget, but not an infinite energy reserve. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. still st <laughs> not godlike yet. Uh, so working with an infinite marketing budget, but a limited energy reserve. So I only have so much time to put into this. I would probably invest pretty heavily in search, both search campaigns, running some Google ads and in my organic and email marketing funnels as well. Super. And I haven't thought about that. <laughs> the infinite energy budget. <laughs> Add that into the question. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much that you can handle 
in your uh, marketing plans. So, you've, but you've still got to focus, even if your budget is infinite. Charlie, what marketing skill would you tell the eighteen-year-old Charlie to focus on? I'm not sure that eighteen-year-old me would take any advice from myself, but um, if I was speaking to an eighteen-year-old, I would tell them to work on what they most enjoy and not try and force themselves to do some type of marketing skill that you know feels like a real struggle to spend your Saturday afternoon because you're probably not awake in the morning at eighteen, like going through at 18 I think I was most interested in messing around building WordPress websites and blogs and uh, that kind of thing and so I would say just yeah track on and do what you actually enjoy doing if that's design if that's you know watching videos making videos building websites writing content whatever it is you find most fun I love that Charlie what are you most excited about in marketing right now I'm always excited about lots of things in marketing I think right now I'm most excited about what's going to happen with organic search and how AI is going to impact that over time. I, I, this is a bit typical, isn't it? Typical answer. But that is probably one of the biggest things that's going on right now and the most the most opportunity, the most change, the most challenge is most likely going to come from that in this sort of next year, I would say. Yeah, I completely agree. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to uh, go to YouTube and search for what is search generative experience or what is SGE and you'll see our video and you'll learn a lot more about what that is and what you need to prepare for it. Charlie, who should our next podcast uh, guest be? Who would you like us to invite? Okay, I've actually got two. Can I do two? You can do two. Okay, great. I've been thinking about this while we were talking and considering that it was your top pick day, I feel like we should invite Ella Woodward to come and talk about her own uh brand here because yes. it's it, you know it's been me harping on about her personal life as pr angles and i feel like she probably has something to say about that that is her own perspective on that and how you know how vulnerable she has had to be to build this business and make it a success and you know where her balance is between what is something she thinks is a pr angle and what is her personal life and her wanting to share that on social media and in the news and my second, uh, I wanted to pick out one of our fabulous team members, which is Gustavo, who is our content and branding strategist. Just because this podcast, we've been talking about, you know, Deliciously Ella, we've been talking about Stanley Cups, and they're such strong brands with such interesting angles as well that they've developed over the years that I feel like actually maybe there's a bit more to unpick in uh that branding side about how you create something that really resonates and excites people and does that in a in a longer term kind of way as well that actually has some longevity in it and Gustavo is such a mega mind and so interesting to listen to uh, when he talks about everything quite frankly but particularly when he talks about branding that <laughs> I think everyone would love to hear uh, some of his mm -hmm. hot takes on some of the biggest brands of today. Yeah, that's a great shout. Well, let's work our magic and see if we can get both of them on the podcast. Maybe even on the same episode. That'd be superb. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for the latest episode of The Dojo. You can join us next week over on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. If that's over on Spotify, get us there. If that's over on your Apple device, get us there as well. Thanks again and see you next week. Bye.